0: Day one, called up my friend. Day two, Googled how to make soap. Man, I wish that when we started, that we focused more on D2C. But I can't stress this enough. We pushed the crap out of our products. Or I guess the biggest insight that I would like to leave is resilience is everything. And it was pretty funny because, like, when you tell a bunch of guys that you're living with that you're going to start making soap, everyone thinks that you're running a fight club. (laughs) Everyone just like, dude, I'm in. And you're like, what are you in on? Like, why are you taking your shirt off? Why are you punching me?
1: Are you tired of building your business alone? If so, I'm putting together mastermind groups with our listeners so we can help each other grow our businesses. How do you join? Well, first off, you have to stop being a cheap ass. Can you do that by joining our Patreon membership, which you can do by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. So what are you going to learn in these mastermind groups? Well, you're going to come to the table with issues you're having in your business, and you're going to get real feedback from other business owners about what you can do to fix those problems. And I've only got a few more spots open for these mastermind groups. So if you're tired of growing your business alone, and you want feedback on how to improve your business, well, this is the group for you. So to become part of this group, first you have to be a Patreon member. And you do that by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And again, spots are going to be limited, so don't miss out on this opportunity.
0: My name is Dave Sibnick. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Soapbox. My age is 31. Located in Washington, D.C. And Soapbox is a personal care company that sells shampoo, conditioner, body wash, bar soap, liquid hand soap, lotions. We have a whole amenity line that services with our partner Marriott. We have a wide variety of other partners that we're super excited to grow our mission. And that mission is every time someone buys one of our products, we donate a bar of soap to someone in need. So that can be Oklahoma shelters and food pantries all over the United States. That can be one of the various different NGOs that we have the pleasure of working with in 65 countries around the world. It's just truly amazing what can happen with something as simple as a bar of soap and clean water in terms of preventing diarrhea illnesses or diarrhea-related diseases. It really can genuinely change the health of a community.
1: And how long have you had the company
0: going for? Soapbox started back in 2010. I was working for a subcontractor for the United States Agency for International Development, and I wanted to change the way that we were doing a lot of wash projects around the world. So I called up my best friend and I said, Hey, we're going to start a soap company. And he was like, You must be out of your mind. (laughs) Who thinks about starting a soap company? And we started with incredibly humble origins. I Googled how to make soap and started making it in my kitchen. And then we just kept on sell it in farmers markets and local mom and pop shops. And then we got into our first major retailer in 2012. It did so well that we actually went full-time and we've been building it ever since. And now, Austin, you can find it in Target. You can find our brand in Rite Aid. You can find our brand on Amazon and just a wide variety of different retailers all across the United States. And thankfully, we're expanding internationally. So it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun and Thankfully, we've been able to donate. We're just under 6 million bars donated.
1: And how big is your company today in size of, you could say, employees or revenue, or just give us a general context of how many people work for you and where they're located, if they're all in Washington, D.C. or spread out?
0: A majority of our people are all over the place. We have a headquarters here right in D.C., but I would say that if you were to take personal care companies, sold in the channels that we are, we're definitely... Within top 50. So that's millions in revenue, multiple millions in revenue. We're sold in about 50,000 points of location all across the United States. So if you were to walk into a wide variety of different retailers, you'd find us. We're not in everyone and we're not as big as Dove or Pantene or Tresemme or Procter and Gamble. But you will be. Yeah, well, hopefully that's the goal. I think also there's a lot of humility in that statement that we like being a challenger brand. We like having standards when it comes to natural ingredients, but we also want to be accessible to our consumer base. And we also want to provide an amazing design experience that also gives back. And I get this question a lot Did you start a soap company because you really cared about personal care? And then you moved into shampoo and conditioner and lotions and other types of personal care products. And then you thought that the mission was a really cool marketing idea. Or did you start with the mission first and foremost and then figured out how to run a personal care company? And I totally wish that it was the former, because I think it would have made our lives a little bit easier, but it was the latter. We started with the mission first. We really wanted to make a difference. And we really wanted to provide more hygiene access around the world, as well as here at home, because back in 2009, 2010, when I started thinking up Soapbox, while working at the United States Agency for International Development as a subcontractor, I just kept on seeing that there was a gigantic need for a bigger emphasis on the hygiene component of our development work around the world.
1: what's your day-to-day like as CEO of a company this size? You didn't exactly say, like, how many employees do you have working underneath you?
0: Oh, yeah, totally. So it's actually not a lot. You can run a CPG company and do very well and run pretty lean. So we have eight full-time people. It's not necessarily about the management that I have to day in and day out with all of our people. Our people are great. They're a former Unilever, they're former Johnson & Johnson. They're just professionals, and they know what they're doing in operations and finance and marketing where the bulk of my day is coordinating all of that effort, setting goals as well as interacting with our investors and really thinking bigger and pushing the team to go faster. With all sincerity, there is no way that we would be anywhere near where we are right now without our team. This team makes miracles happen on a daily basis.
1: And a CPG is a consumer packaging goods company?
0: Yeah. Consumer product goods, consumer package goods. CPG often is lumped into beverage, food, snacks, personal care. The list goes on home care, shave, deodorant. Those are more of a subcategory of personal care, the last couple that I listed. But like the world of CPG is a gigantic component of any economy. Being a startup in the CPG space is very different than being a startup in the tech space or like creating an app and how you raise money and how you spend money and how many people you need and what you need to have in terms of a skill set in order to make sure that a product launch goes well is just all very drastically different. But I would say that there are very big similarities between being an entrepreneur across different channels.
1: Hopefully that helped. I feel like I came at least a little bit more helpful at the end there.
0: No, I, I do. I think it helps. And like I said, it's like going to see a psychiatrist talking about your problems in life, you're like, we're talking with you about our <laughs> problems in business and startups. So, I mean, when we vocalize it, we talk, and something else will enter our brains and and we're like, okay, yeah, there it is. Nice. Well, I
1: appreciate it, Dr. Rock. Well, I thought it was a lot more intimate than I thought it was going to be. Like anyone who's thinking about doing it, you'll be able to, to get involved, ask a question, you know, which I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert a question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because become a member to find out. What percentage of your sales are coming from website versus those big box stores or specialty retail stores that you were talking about?
0: Man, I wish that when we started Soapbox that we focused more on D2C and that we had that skill set around the table of the original four people who really got Soapbox going, that a lot of us were more skilled than that. And if we were to have, have done this differently or start all over again, we would have to have the weight of the product and the value of the product be drastically changed. So what I mean by that is you can get 16 ounces of our shampoo for 6.99, dollars and that is just not going to work for a D2C model. It, the cost per acquisition that we're seeing in the marketplace is just way too high in terms of us being able to really recoup on the investment of going out and prospecting new customers to come and check out on our website. So our D2C business from our like soapboxsoaps.com We also have the pleasure of owning another brand that I cannot talk about, unfortunately, today. But it's been really interesting just because being able to see that brand grow after we acquired it in the middle of 2018 and taking the lessons that we've learned from that have been just super fascinating and applying that towards the original brand that we own, which is Soapbox. But all that being said, I would say single digits on our own website. Amazon is very significant for us. Other e-commerce players like Grove.com are very significant for us. We're very excited about launching on other e-commerce partners that have had a fabulous track record in the market. And we know that our product is really well on e-commerce because it's beautifully designed, it's affordably priced, and we've thankfully done really well on e-commerce partners. But that's usually because the basket is so much bigger than what we would be able to have a customer come and purchase from us directly in just assortment that we provide. Now, brick and mortar, that, oh, man, that's a whole other thing. And that, honestly, we could spend the next 24, 48 hours just talking about the intricacies of all the different channels and how different channels operate differently and consumer product goods.
1: Well, that's what I have us booked for because, I mean, this is our extra long podcast special. Everyone's booked and ready to learn. <laughs>
0: okay. All right, Austin, let's do this. For all of your listeners who want to know how to navigate the retail landscape of brick and mortar, I will take it up to a, a 10,000 foot view which we'll just say, this is like vision. This is basically super far up. What does the retail landscape look like? And granted, I am not like a PhD level expert at this. And this is coming from my experiences. So take it with a grain of salt.
1: Well, you look like it based on your LinkedIn profile. You got the glasses. <laughs> I'm like, this looks pretty smart.
0: Well, I fooled you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. If we're breaking down brick and mortar in the United States, you have food, so food is grocery. That is Kroger, that's Safeway Albertsons, that's giant. So that is food. Let's talk about drug. Drug is your CVSs, your Walgreens, your Rite-Aids. We'll go into mass. So mass retailers are Walmart and Target and Meyer and ShopCo. How they retail, their expectations in terms of working with you are different. And then taking another kind of step, we'll go into natural. So natural would be your earth fairs, your whole foods. And then finally, you know, we can go into like your e-commerce retailers, which would be your Amazons, your Jet.coms, or Walmart.coms. That's pretty much the whole spatter. No, I don't want to put everyone to sleep, man. Yeah, I know, right?
1: <laughs> I think you just even listen off at least gives people, again, you think maybe just retail, right? Maybe we are just thinking big box for a second. But within the retail sectors, there's specialties within each one where you'd have to sell your product differently or different price points, or maybe they are only allowed in certain locations of the country. And again, this is only even US. So there's people are listening who might be in UK or Ireland or anywhere else where it's even a different strategy within those same type of retail. Well, why don't we pick it back up to how you actually ended up starting the company? At least we got a concept of what you do now and what your company's about. You said eight people. And how much in sales today?
0: We're just under 10 million. Okay.
1: Only having eight people in a product-based company like that, you would think it'd be much bigger. At least I did. But why don't we go ahead and jump to, it seems like you've almost started this company right out of college. You went to college where?
0: I went to American University in DC.
1: And then graduated about 2009, it looks like, and then you showing that you actually started Soapbox in 2010. So why don't you just tell us about the early days of actually starting off the company, how much money you had saved up, a little bit more about, do you actually have a co-founder?
0: There's no way that I could do this without him. So on that note, how much money I had saved up? None.
1: <laughs> Enough to fit in
0: a Soapbox? Yeah, right. Exactly. Soapbox really was started because of the mission. We talked about that before, but Soapbox also was this idea that we could turn everyday purchases into something that really was meaningful. And that philanthropy could exist not just for us giving to the NGOs that we have the pleasure to serve around the world, but also allowing the individual consumer to be a philanthropist.
1: I don't want to feel like we keep kind of painting a broad brush. So why don't we just go ahead and start on day one when you started the company, Were you out of school? You told your friend he has to start this company with you. Let's just go over the first year or early days of starting the company.
0: Day one, called up my friend. Day two, Googled how to make soap. Bought a bunch of books, bought a bunch of equipment, started throwing stuff together in a pot and a pan. And then day three... Were you out of school?
1: Are you at your parents' house?
0: No, no. I basically had a full-time job. I was with the USAID subcontractor. And I just was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to do this. So the first couple batches I made were awful, Continued to get better. And it was pretty funny because like, when you tell a bunch of guys that you're living with that you're going to start making soap, everyone thinks that you're running a fight club. <laughs> everyone just like, dude, I'm in. And you're like, what are you in on? Like, why are you taking your shirt off? Why are you punching me? So that was the early days. Early days were kind of funny and kind of weird. So you weren't venture back? you're saying? No, are you kidding? No,
1: yeah. Obviously, you didn't have, I mean, you didn't need a big budget when you're trying to play around
0: with it. I mean, I think also what's crazy is that, like, it's soap, it's the most low tech. Literally, you just need to add water, and our product works. You've made way more soap than I'll ever make. I've made a lot more soap than most people have made. Probably what I'll say is that we started with just the humblest origins and basically. I went off into Teach for America in 2010. Teach for America is an amazing program where you get placed in high-need areas as an educator. You go through a summer institute, and then you basically get your teaching cert. So I was an educator in Philadelphia. We kept on building the company in and weekends, and then we kept on scaling and growing and figuring things out. And then it wasn't until begging, pleading, calling, emailing Whole Foods that Whole Foods actually put us in. So how long did it take you to get into
1: Whole Foods? What type of product did you have when you actually went to them?
0: We had a bar of soap with
1: twine around it. Have you sold anything to anybody yet at that point? Yeah, we were selling in a couple
0: mom-pop and stores. Nothing too big, though.
1: So did it take you a whole year after the first year you got into there? Because, again, you're doing this kind of part-time on the side. It sounds like, obviously, mm-hmm. it's not making a lot of money doing Teach for America. And at least you're smart enough to realize you obviously don't need to put in a lot of money to kind of figure this thing out. No. But some people just automatically think that you need a lot of money to do anything. You know, at least you yeah. string budget and figuring that out. How much money were you making up till maybe, let's just say that first year, or at least up until you went into Whole Foods?
0: Oh, man. I'm So <laughs> money was not making a lot. First year teacher salary in a charter school network up in Philadelphia, you make basically pennies. Man, whew, it only took around like 10,000 to start. Just with all the equipment and the amount of ingredients we needed to buy. What equipment
1: do you have to buy?
0: Okay, you get a pretty big steel pot, you get your essential oils, and then you get lye as well as a vegetable base. And basically what soap is, it's named soap, is short for saponification. Saponification is the reaction that's happening between a lye and a heavy oil or fat and depending on the quality of the personal care product, you can either use a really cheap fat. So if you ever like flip over a bar of soap and you see sodium tallowate or just tallowate, that's mutton fat or animal fat. Whereas higher grade soap that's going to be more gentle on your skin is going to be using vegetable base or vegetable fat.
1: You're using this American University linko. Uh, <laughs> talking about, but all right, hey, let's go back. So, so here's know, the thing: I understand the basics here. I'm looking at you talk about how much of a clean aspect or clean look that you have to your actual product. And it does. And the logo looks good, too. Did you come up with that or was that something that happened over time?
0: No, we've made so many mistakes with branding. We've gone through like five major branding reviews, which for anyone who's trying to build a brand and you have like zero dollars like we did, don't do that. (laughs) Get it right. Really, honestly, it is so hard to really understand if you're brand new to CPG how the hierarchy of branding works and how that hierarchy of what's going to work in your category is also really dependent on the need state of the consumer so for example i'll just talk about what we know liquid hand soap in terms of how a liquid hand soap should be designed is night and day different than how a shampoo and conditioner should be designed drastically different and the reason being is when someone wants to buy a liquid hand soap they're thinking about decor and fragrance Price point and does it moisture? That is a liquid hand soap. When it comes to hair care, it's about what type of ingredients are in there. What type of hair is it good for? What is it going to do for my hair? It's a drastically different, and it's less about actually putting that bottle out because most people have their shampoos and conditioners and body wash in their shower. So it's not necessarily a decor play. For anyone listening that wants to go into consumer product goods, or already is in consumer product goods. Some of the best money we've ever spent was we actually hired a bona fide, awesome design agency, and we tested every hypothesis that we had about our branding. And it was a really painful process because unfortunately, we only got our branding right after we were in so many different stores. And that is really expensive because you launch into all these stores. And if you want to change the packaging and the packaging is drastically different in terms of like height or width, you have to usually help that retailer discount that product down and then flow in the new product. And that is just so expensive. We just didn't know any better. Like We really didn't know any better.
1: Well, I think that's kind of a catch-22 because at the same point in time, you don't want to get stuck of, oh, I need the perfect logo and stuff. At least I'd much rather be in your situation where, oh, that hurt. I had to go ahead and put new bottles in there that we found out that for sure this is better branding or better logos or whatever versus spending too much time up front. It depends on the person, right? If they want to be artsy or designy with it versus actually looking at the raw numbers and just making something work. But I'm thinking in my head, now that you're talking about these different types of soap, whether it's in the bathroom or out for hand wash, I mean, right when you get started, were you just thinking it was going to be a bar of soap and that would be it. And not necessarily <laughs> yeah. expanding to all this. Cause that's what I thought originally ahead in my mind. I don't know if you already in the beginning, you're like, I'm gonna have all these products versus just having one product and just going from there.
0: I think we always thought that we always wanted to be a household name brand. We wanted to be a method. We wanted-
1: well, now you are, cause you're on this podcast.
0: Hooray, honestly, like really soap boxes has always been about how do we become the next method? These type of brands are really well known for a couple things and we had to figure out what we wanted to be really well known for. And we had to, there's just so many parts of the equation that have to be really well thought out in order to excel in winning in consumer product goods. And honestly, it is a incredibly competitive market and it's not for the faint of heart. But for us, the fact that every month we're donating just this many bars to people who need it in local homeless shelters and food pantries. So like, for example, the most recent shutdown of the federal government, we were able to step in and provide 100,000 bars to local homeless shelters and food pantries, and they're still fulfilling that commitment through furloughed workers that needed that help. And that's awesome, right? Like, that's right in our home, that's right where we're located, and that's meaningful, and that matters. I think for a lot of reasons and more, we care very deeply about getting the product right so that we can increase sales because every unit that we're able to sell more is another one that we can give. Why don't we get back to
1: the chronological story? I think we talked about a lot of good things or concepts that people can learn from, but just not to overall, I guess, confuse people or maybe we can learn about any missteps or the good things that happened along the way. Why don't we go ahead and talk about when you actually got into Whole Foods? Like I said, I think right beforehand, I'm just going to guess, maybe you had a 10, 20, $30,000 maybe in sales total if it was that first year. Yeah, that's dead on. Well, let's talk about year two, you get into Whole Foods. What's happening? Because this is year two out of the nine years that you've been doing it so far.
0: Year one, 2010, I think we did like 8,000. Somehow I convinced a bunch of my family to buy some. Year two, we did like in the 20s, our first year in the Whole Foods in 2012, we did like 48. A little background on this, we basically had no idea what we were doing. And we took a bar with twine soap around it to basically a Whole Foods buyer and begged, pleaded, called, emailed, hound, just kept on showing up to the point where they eventually were like, you know what, please stop bothering us. Yeah, I'll let you in. So we got one store and we did so well in that one store, we got expanded to eight stores and eight stores went to a whole region and we kept on growing and expanding. And I wish I could say it was a fairy tale ever after, but it definitely was not.
1: Why did it work so well in that one store? Was there anything in particular that you did other than, I don't know if you're going in the store pleading for your parents to keep buying racks of these soaps or... Oh, that happened. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you make it work so well? Honestly, anytime I've heard a story about anyone going to Whole Foods, it seems like they do what you do. As long as you just keep bothering them so much, eventually they'll just give you an opportunity, but just because you got that opportunity doesn't mean you're going to succeed. So what made your product succeed in that first store?
0: Persistence pays. It's like being politely persistent. Hey, 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 hey. You know, <laughs> that's it. That's basically how we've won most of our contracts. It's just like, who are you? Never heard of you. Like, we're so box. Okay, leave it alone.
1: That's what I do to my podcast guests who won't share the podcast after they said they would. Don't you be one of those guys. I promise not to be. <laughs> you
0: might have to remind me in full no, disclosure. I-
1: Trust me, I'm going to call him out because this guy, Kenny Reuter, I think it's been 12 emails. Like I said, I appreciate any time anyone spends on it. But he's like, hey, yeah, give me a holler after we get done. And I'll send him this part of the interview so he hears it. He's like, yeah, I'll share it. You know, 12 emails later, still have it. I'm like, well, don't say you're going to if you're not going to. I'm the same way. I'm just going to keep emailing you. Eventually, I'll call you. Eventually, show up at your house. <laughs> give you the interview to share. <laughs>
0: Let me see your phone. Hey. Shared.
1: Done. <laughs> I went to all my friends. If I'm throwing a party, they have to give me the phone at the door. They got to subscribe to the podcast. Download every episode. I mean, that's the only way to increase the downloads here. That's amazing. Well played. It really is that persistence though, like you're saying. I mean, obviously sometimes you get down, but... I think that's the main thing that I can pull from a lot of the stories that we talked to. Yeah, it sucks sometimes, but you just gotta keep going. If you wanna just give up, then give up, then you're not gonna be successful, but obviously being persistent. So back to the Whole Foods and making this thing succeed, what'd you do? Demo.
0: We were so hype about our product. That's smart, yeah. And we were so over the top that it really was just consistently talking to every person who would listen and that was it i mean that's the by and large so were you just standing in the aisle or
1: yeah no we
0: had a little table on
1: the aisle. anyone who gets a product this is what you have to basically do to obviously make this happen just get in there and then they don't care if you're just in there trying to sell it to anyone oh
0: no you got to call you got to coordinate ahead of time but once you get in there i mean they like it because you're helping sell more products Right. But I can't stress this enough. We pushed the crap out of our products. We got expanded and thankfully we kept on growing and so on and so forth. But honestly, like unfortunately required so many demos and we just, it wasn't the right type of place for us to be. So we were like, okay, if we're gonna stay in the natural channel, which thankfully, you know, I already discussed at the beginning of the podcast, we're only gonna be an X amount of company. Like we're gonna be rather small. And thankfully our growth trajectory has been awesome especially with the new branding. So it's about like, how can you get into Target? And how can you get into Walmart? And how can you get into all these much bigger retailers in order to expand the mission? And we crossed that chasm after growing in the natural channel. We launched in 2014, a small little test in Target. So we got our first launch in Whole Foods in 2012. We expanded the amount of doors. We expanded into a bunch of other regions in 2013. That was the first time that we raised capital. So we raised a couple hundred thousand from new investors who really liked us, the product and the mission. We kept on growing. We got a test in Target in 2014. That thankfully went so well that we got expanded in 2015. So then we were in a lot more Target stores. And then we used that success in Target in order to continue to build and expand the brand. So then we went from Target into a bunch of other retailers, and so we just kept on growing. And basically what's happened over the years is because thankfully the products have sold, our customers have come back to us and said, What else do you make? Well, we make liquid hand soap, body wash, and bar soap. And they're like, Oh, well, do you make shampoo and conditioner? And we're like, Yep. And then they were like, Well, do you make lotions? And we're like, Yep. <laughs> so meanwhile, we're all just like, Oh no, you know, we need to gather the chemists and the formulators and figure out how we make this stuff and then really genuinely test it and throw it against the wall and I think the biggest thing that we've learned time and time again is test, 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 and don't allow momentary failure to spell absolute defeat for the company or the mission.
1: All this while you were making the soaps in your apartment, still?
0: No, we had moved to a co-man. So we basically took the things that we learned and the recipes and we took it to a much bigger facility. Oh, gosh. I was being facetious. Okay
1: i'm using a big word facetious there too since uh i know it's american you so because that's a whole other side of the equation right i mean we're talking about making it successful do you want to just briefly touch on dealing with that that almost seems like the harder part to me it seems like you'd be smart enough to figure out okay marketing or getting in these stores i need to get in these stores it's not like rocket science right to get in front of these people i just think unfortunately products that don't succeed it's just that they maybe those people didn't put in the time or effort that you did on the front end but then again you no background making these type of products but having someone actually make them for you and do it correctly let's talk about that
0: you know it's not as difficult as one would think in terms of actually getting into accounts and it's actually not as difficult as one would think to actually make it in my opinion the most challenging and the most value creating part of or in consumer product brands is developing something that people genuinely love if you can like everything else is solvable if you can show me a brand that the customer loyalty and the repeat purchasing and if you put that product on a shelf and it just sells incredibly well, a lot of the other problems can be figured out. Seriously, like sourcing, supply chain, finance, if that product has good margins and just people absolutely fall in love with it, it could almost just be that they just discover the product itself and it sells by itself. Like that is the grail.
1: Well, it sounds like everything went perfect.
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, like, we changed our branding five times. Austin, I'll tell you what, if you ever hear a consumer brand, and not just like, yeah, we slightly moved the logo a little bit to the left. I mean, no, if you Google search soapbox soaps, you're going to find a whole little timeline of what we used to look like and what we look like now. And it's, oh. It was tough.
1: Soapboxsoaps.xxx is that it? No, oh, no. Is,
0: first yeah. off, even if there was that type of site for our stuff, like that man, that would be hilarious.
1: I might have to make one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm
1: trying to look where your branding is. Maybe we can drop that in the show notes too, so people could see where you're saying you had five different ones, and I wasn't seeing where. Maybe you don't want to announce it everywhere on your homepage about the Oh, the
0: old branding? No, yeah. no, we definitely do not. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's what I was trying to look for. Cause I mean, I only see your current logo cause it's very simple and clean It almost looks like it's from periodic table. I don't know if you're- good. Oh, yep.
0: Yep. But, no, uh, all of that was tested in terms of like full blown focus groups and consumer trials. And
1: maybe you can tell us like the early years of that or something that if we were doing a product, how we get those. Cause you said you even send stuff out to people who are you know, maybe 200 people who give you actually honest feedback. Cause I think that sometimes that's very hard to get and no matter what we're doing in any business. Again, it could be non-product related, but let's just make it simple and say it's product related or even about this podcast for me to actually get back real feedback is really, really difficult. So like, how did you do that early on without lots of money to try to figure out what was working or what wasn't? Yeah.
0: So I would say the early days of starting a consumer product company are develop the concept, develop the prototype and go ask as many people as you possibly can if they like it and genuinely ask for honest feedback. And then once you feel like you have a prototype enough, that's where you do your MVP, of where you actually get people to try to buy it. If I were to do this all over again, I would start direct-to-consumer. And in order to win by direct direct-to-consumer, you have to have something that ships light enough. You have to have something that has a high enough margin and a high enough dollar ring. So it's got to make enough money in order to actually pay the Facebook, Google, all those type of CPAs, in order to actually pay for the person to come in the door on the website, and then pay for the ratio that it's actually going to take to actually make a purchase on your website. But if you can get to a profitable engine to where you're actually making enough money, you can reinvest into advertising and grow the brand. And that's where a majority of millennials and Gen Y, Gen Z, you know, all of us basically are today, is that we're online, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, doing product searches on Amazon and Google and other sites and If you're there, if you're popping up when people are doing those product searches, they're gonna discover you and you continue to build the brand online until retailers start to come to you. Because it's so easy, or it's not so easy, but it is definitely easier to build your brand online before going into a retail channel and trying to build your brand once you're already on the shelf. That's the biggest piece of advice I can give. Unless you have such a breathtakingly new product that once you put it on shelf it automatically connects to the consumer because either it's a brand new category or that it is meeting a customer need that the market just currently isn't providing i'll walk through an example of this there's a ice cream brand called halo top halo top was able to really disrupt a competitive frozen i mean frozen is so difficult because oftentimes consumer product good companies have to pay their slotting in order to be In that frozen aisle so you got to pay sometimes upwards of 25 20 30 40 50 thousand dollars per item to launch in a chain of grocery stores it's so difficult and that doesn't even guarantee your spot for six months or 12 months so i'll go back to this halo top was able to really disrupt A marketplace of very well-established Ben & Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs and so many other brands because it led with people feel guilty about eating a pint of ice cream and very few people only eat half of a pint of ice cream so if they lead with how few calories their ice cream pint is compared to others and they make that the biggest thing on the front of packaging then you can really catch people's eyes Hey, I'm thinking about buying this Ben & Jerry's. It's like 350 calories per this pint versus I could get this that is 90 calories. I've never even heard of this brand before, but it's got some good packaging. I'll give it a try. Go home. Hey, that was really tasty. I'm going to go back and buy it more.
1: Well, you must be looking at our podcast lineup because that's one of my next interviews. We actually already did the pre-interview and their interview got pushed back here a little bit. But Halo Top is coming to an episode soon here. I'm looking, so you don't want to just put how many calories you burn by using your soap on yours?
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) no one cares. But what people do care about is, hey, I care about moisture. and I care about whether this oil is going to help me with repairing or is this going to help me with control there's a lot of different hair needs and you're really trying to articulate that directly to the consumer and you're trying to say hey consumer in the aisle this is going to help you one
1: question i should have asked you along this timeline that i haven't a question that you or one thing that you're like Austin, you should ask me this because we're trying to wrap it up here soon but i want to make sure at least maybe through the first half of your company's life. Is there anything we're missing? I mean, the, the main thing you keep harping on is packaging and rebranding, especially if you went to a retail store first. But I mean, I'll kind of let you more off the hook there because you're doing it in 2010. is much easier now to understand, okay, you can launch a product and put it online. I mean, back then you could probably still understand to an extent, but maybe not to the degree that you can today.
0: You know, Austin, what I would say is, well, the question that shoulda, coulda, woulda asked, or I guess the biggest insight that I would like to leave is resilience is everything. Honestly, especially in consumer product goods, a lot of brands seem like overnight successes, but they're few and far between. The real winners in CPG are the people running the marathon, the 15 years, 10 years, the 20, 25 years. It takes a while for a brand to build. There are certain aspects and there are certain companies that are able to flip it pretty quick. Beverage and snack happen faster in terms of their growth and their timelines, but there's just so many parts of the equation that have to be really well thought out and executed flawlessly. But I'm a strong believer that it's actually the resilient team that is able to consistently learn and consistently improve and take all that validated learning and just continue to apply it, that's going to win in the long run becoming a patron was something that i was always like i'm going to do it i'm going to do it and i was delaying it for whatever reason and the other day i was like okay i'm, I'm going to do it and, uh, and that's it so i'm very happy with it
1: nice well thank you for joining so was there anything holding you back
0: it was just uh, taking the time to do it
1: gotcha well thank you for taking the time to do it so um where are you located
0: here in bolivia in south america
1: cool well, I think you're our first Patreon member from South America. So thanks for that again. And um, I don't know if you just saw, I just upped the group calls from once a month to twice a month. So I think that's actually where probably you'll get the most value of the membership personally. Doing the group calls, you guys get to actually, you know, ask our past guests questions and I'm just there to facilitate it. I'm just trying to think from even your aspect, when I'm looking online and you're talking about all these different retail stores you're going into and figuring out the product packaging, et cetera, how many hours were you actually putting in? Because we didn't talk about the transition that you made to making this actually a full-time gig. And to me, it just seems like you had to put in tons of hours to try to figure out not only in-store sales, Making that successful, but you're talking about trying to get consumers online as well. And, you know, that's a totally different thing that you've got to learn.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Consistently learning what you don't know on a very frequent basis and getting smarter before what you don't know really hurts you in the business.
1: When did you make that transition from part time to full time?
0: It was actually a lady crying. I saw a lady cry when we were demoing our first Whole Foods store and she was so touched by what we were doing that she started crying. And I called up my best friend afterwards and I said, we have to go full time on this. We have to do this. And he was like, why? Because I literally just saw a lady cry over a bar. So when that happened, when we saw that customer reaction take place, it was so powerful that we knew we were onto something. And we knew that this mission could be something so much bigger than ourselves. We're actually no longer sold in Whole Foods. It's actually a long story, but we're sold in retailers across the country as well as on Amazon and Grove.com and a wide variety of other online retailers. And one thing I absolutely would like to offer anyone who's stuck with us all the way to here is a gigantic discount. I don't know if it's a gigantic discount, but... No, it's gigantic. It's gigantic. It's absolutely...
1: The best discount you've ever given.
0: Yeah. It's just on Amazon. If you go on Amazon, you go into Soapbox or you type in Soapbox Soaps. We would like to go just by Soapbox, but here's another mistake we made. We bought the URL soapboxhopes.com, and then we also put all our socials as soapboxhopes.com, even though we wanted to go by Soapbox. So that's a mistake. Don't do that, because everyone refers to us as Soapbox Hopes, and we're like, no, we make so many other items than just soap. But on that note, if you put in Austin Rocks, so A U S T I N R O C K S, you'll get twenty percent off. Anything that you buy on Amazon.
1: Soapbox, we just do all one word if we're looking for it and then go to a product. Let's say we want to click on your one of your first products and then you'd put that in?
0: Yeah, you just go to the checkout page on Amazon and there's a discount coupon code, like place where you can put in a promo code and put Austin Rocks right there. All one word, all lowercase.
1: So are you out of Austin, Texas? Is what that why the promo code?
0: No, it's for you.
1: Oh, what a dude. I kind of figured that out, hopefully.
0: I'm yeah, sure. no. So really? we were just like, this is awesome.
1: I appreciate that. I'm sure. Everyone else does here as well. Just go in and maybe I guess we can also put a link in the show notes again. If you just scroll down to the episode notes, we'll just have that. So it's easily to get in there. Should we make that all one word? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome rocks. I don't know if it matters if we do a space or not. I guess you didn't really touch on this. I mean, I just feel you'd have to put in, especially when you went full-time, we didn't talk about any work-life balance. It just seems like you'd have to put in so much time to try to get these different aspects of your product right, whether it's online or actually in retail stores.
0: There was very little work-life balance in the very early days. Thankfully, it started to normalize a little bit, especially as things really taken off. But no, in the very early days, it was not so much.
1: Again, I try never to discount that because if you're not putting in those hours to figure out the mistakes you're figuring out, then it might have taken you another couple of years to get to where you are today. By putting in those hours, obviously you want to eventually not be working as much as I guess you are on the early years. But I think that's important for you to figure out these mistakes. I think maybe we'll have some follow up questions from our audience maybe that we could have you answer or maybe we can do a part two on this because I feel like we just hit the edges of your whole story. I think obviously it's a lot for everyone to learn. Is there any last words of wisdom that you want to leave with anybody? We kind of briefly mentioned it before our awesome discount code, but anything else for anyone who's starting a company or struggling in their company that you want to leave them with?
0: Yeah, I would say that I'd ask for help. I have not found another group of more helpful and willing to help and lean in. And hey, I just want to offer some advice of the hard lessons that I learned than fellow entrepreneurs. And the reason being is, at least from my story, I've had thousands, no joke, thousands upon thousands of people who've helped us get to where we are today. And that is so meaningful on so many different levels. And a lot of them told me that, look, the only reason why they got to where they are is because so many different people took the time to help them figure out their industry or their vertical or how to get through this obstacle or whatever it might be, and I think it's just a understanding that entrepreneurs usually have that it's yeah, like we're there's often no field book or you know manual about how to build your particular business, but that doesn't mean that a lot of other entrepreneurs haven't gone through similar situations and they can help, so ask for help.
1: is there one thing that? Best way that you've figured that out? If anyone's listening and they want help from other entrepreneurs, obviously they're listening here to try to learn from you, try to help grow their business or maybe even just start it. Is there one place that you went in particular that helped you reach out to those type of entrepreneurs or to connect with them? I think
0: LinkedIn is a good spot. Conferences are even better. I think trade shows are the best. Find the vertical that you want to go into and don't be afraid to be ignorant. Like not ignorant as in like arrogant or offensive, but like you don't know it's okay to tell people you don't know.
1: Yeah. And I think we're going to actually start doing something like that with the podcast by the time this episode comes out, as far as being able to link more people up who are either in similar industries or they can be in different ones, but they just want to even connect more socially with some of the listeners because we're all the same mindset. We're uh, learning from you here. Again, appreciate you coming on David. And then if anyone wanted to say thank you for doing the podcast, what's the best way for them to reach you?
0: Oh, sure. Send me an email. Hello, H E L L O at Soapboxhopes.com.
1: And are you going to buy soapbox.com? Because it seems Motley Fool has it. Yeah.
0: You know, the funny thing is, is that they're in our city. We literally walked over to their HQ years ago. and We're like, can we buy this? And they're like, do you have half a million dollars? And we're like, nope. Nope. Not for that domain. <laughs> and now it's probably a million today, right? Maybe. It's so interesting because...
1: Uh, soapbox.xxx still works. Yeah. That? Really? Oh, fantastic. I don't think this works safe for anyone no probably not i don't even know if they still have those domains there but
0: wait seriously that was a domain
1: for sure yeah that was like 10 years ago there all the porn sites were supposed to have dot xxx they kept out with, yeah with like all these engines that are coming out with the what do you call the last three letters whatever you call it they're trying to come up with all different ones but that was definitely wow. one. i don't think it ever took off but it still might be it you might have the ability you never know wow Thanks again, David, for coming on, sharing your story. We really appreciate it. And hopefully our listeners will be reaching out to you to hook up with the smart entrepreneurs like yourself.
0: Uh, I look forward to it. Thank you so much for the time, Austin. This was great. Well, I'd been kind of listening for a while. I did listen to
1: your first Patreon call and um, there's a couple guys in there that for what they did
0: or what they were doing, it kind of intrigued me. And um, then I've heard a couple of the commercials or whatever that so-and-so was going to be on there. Clicked on your new episode the other day, and I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I got to do this.
1: So why don't you do it, too? Join right now. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon.